Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. Here we talk about everything to do with human performance and how leaders and organizations can get the best out of themselves and their people. I'm your host, Alex Young. My guest on the podcast this week is Ian Gatt. Ian has been a sports physiotherapist for over 15 years and is currently head of performance services and lead physio for the Great Britain Boxing Programme, including helping Anthony Joshua. Ian is a consultant with the prestigious English Institute of Sport and a visiting lecturer at University College London, teaching and training on areas linked to the hand, wrist and elbow. We discuss human performance in boxing, being humble and a lifelong learner, and the power of empathy in leadership. Hi Ian, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Yourself? Very well, thank you. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. Um, how have you been during lockdown? I don't know, it's, it's been good. I think like everybody else, it's trying to find that balance, but uh, there's been a lot to keep me busy and a lot to reflect on. Well, I mean, sp- speaking of being busy, your, your background is, is certainly busy. You've got a lot of um, mutual interest to myself. Um, and it'd be great if you could tell all the listeners um, about your, uh, your own background. Yes, well, I've been... 20 years working predominantly in sports. Uh, by trade, I'm a sports physiotherapist, uh, keen interest in the upper limb, uh, predominantly, I'd say, further distal in the upper limb, um, the hand, wrist and elbows, particularly because a lot of people uh, prefer to uh, ruminate around the shoulders, some around the elbows, but people don't like the hands and the wrists. So I like to, to go in those areas where people sometimes can be bit more challenged or afraid of. Um, But uh, I'm the head of sports science and medicine um, for GB Boxing. I've been with them now for over a decade and uh, it's obviously been a privilege because during this decade I've been to multiple events, whether it is, you know, the the pinnacle, which is the Olympics, your Commonwealth Games, major championships, training camps abroad. Um, But the main thing for me is the day-to-day on the ground uh, at our base in Sheffield. Uh, I've been privileged to work also with a lot of professional athletes. Um, I'm sure some people might have seen me ringside uh, in the last uh, couple of AJ's fights, which again, I always say it's a privilege to be in those positions, working behind the scenes with uh, an athlete like him, you know, quite a humble athlete, but obviously inspires a lot of people, you know, inspires me with his work ethos. Um, And so, yes, uh, I'd like to say that I've got a strong sporting background uh, with, with different facets, let's say, you know, the teaching aspect, the, uh, the, the working as a clinician aspect, and hopefully, you know, the leadership aspect. Yes, it's really amazing. And um, I know, uh, you know, my, my personal interests in, in boxing are, um, uh, I, I find it just absolutely fascinating, both the kind of mental aspects, the, the length of training, uh, and then just the technicality of it as well. Um, how how have you found kind of working in in what is uh, basically a combat sport um, in in your role? Well, you have to go in as a student, and even eleven years later, I still have to feel I'm a student because you know you are working with coaches that have been in this industry for you know thirty, forty years. You know they 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 see certain things which probably even science won't be able to pick out sometimes because they have a particular eye, a uh, particular eye for that sort of diversity, for that talent. You know, you could do lots of tests to try and identify talent, but um, we have seen in boxing sometimes it's not the strongest boxer, you know, pound for pound, not being the strongest makes you the best boxer. It's, it's the talent. Obviously, it's all nice to come together. You've got the velocity, the force, uh, the technique, but there's a lot of things that make a boxer, you know, that the heart um, is, is one of them really. And so for me, you know, working in boxing, you almost have to become part of that, I'd say, family. You know, you, you don't just go in there and just be a practitioner. You have to live it. You have to be part of it. You have to embrace it. Uh, and also, um, you know, you hear a lot of coaches talking about being a passenger or a, a lifelong um, learner, somebody who wants to be there. And I'd like to believe that so far, 
I've proven that I want to be in a sport like boxing um, because, you know, being there for 10 years and, and over now, you just, every day, you just keep learning new things. There's great banter in the gym. So I'd say it's definitely been a, a, a fantastic experience. And although boxing has probably been my predominant sport in the last um, decade or so, it has actually given me a platform to be able to transfer skills in other sports. So, you know, within the English Institute of Sport, which I operate, I support a lot of practitioners and athletes in other sports in areas which I find a bit more comfortable now in my sports, you know, around the hands and wrist, elbows, and, and even the shoulders, so the whole upper limb spectrum. Uh, I work with private people outside of the sport, whether they are boxers or not. So the, the nice thing is there's lots of transferable skills um, that you can take from that experience. And I mean, with with the upper limb specifically, it's, it's really interesting because I think a lot of the guests we've had um, on the podcast previously, uh, including um, Prof. Greg White, who, who um, you, you know. Um, yeah, I know, Greg. <laughs> I love the performance very well. So um, with, with, with kind of upper limb, I think often it, it can be sort of, you know, missed out in, in certain kind of sports and, and, and coaching regimes and things like that. Could you sort of speak to um, your role in that sort of, I guess, multidisciplinary team and, and what you're doing with the athletes when you work with them? Yeah, well... I mean, boxing, although there's probably from a sport specific, I'd say the predominance of injuries tend to be the upper limb. Um, you've got a bit of the trunks through to contact and face through to contact. They get injuries everywhere because, you know, they're, they are an all-round athlete. You know, they're athletes that go running as part of their conditioning. So you can easily get overuse injuries if they abuse their system. Um, so again, you know, we can't just focus on one area. And we know that there's a lot of force transference happening from um, the, the, the lower areas to the upper areas. You know, there's, there's different studies. There's actually a study published recently in June 2020 looking at, you know, the different contributions of the pelvis, um, the shoulder and the elbow when somebody does the different types of shots, the different types of ground force reactions. And actually they, they, they found that um, what, what is, you know, generally accepted anyway is that there's good balance between the front and back foot but you know when somebody's trying a shot there tends to be more force coming through the front foot which is acceptable obviously especially when you're doing all those rotations so you know th those are the things which I, I think are important in trying to understand but you mentioned the multidisciplinary team which I think is very important I mean in boxing we've got eight different disciplines um, which all together probably equates to about 15 um, practitioners so you've got your doctors your physios You've got your psychologists, performance lifestyle. You've got nutritionists. You've got performance analysis. You've got physiologists. Um, and and uh, all together, you know, when you, when you put all the disciplines together, it forms really a very important um, cohort because when you're looking at areas of performance, you're looking at areas of health. And I've said health, not injuries, because there are different components of health. You know, there is the, the, the health, which is of the athlete per se, you know, living a healthy lifestyle, looking after themselves, things that link to probably their uh, mental health, but also things linked to their motivation to be able to train, which I think sometimes people confuse it to also, because, you know, you could have bad mental health, but you are motivated to train, but equally, you could have very good mental health and, and low motivation to train. So I think it's important not to confuse these two. And again, these are things I've learned from the psychologist and trying to understand that, you know, just because somebody doesn't want to train or they have low motivation doesn't mean they have a poor mental health. So it's identifying those things. But then equally, I'd say around the, the health of an athlete, whether it's illnesses, you know, very important. It could be a big burden if it is an area which is not looked into very well. And then injuries, you know, from injury reduction. You know, I don't like to use the word injury prevention because if certain injuries 
are quite related to sport. So for example, in boxing, you know, you are going to expect hands and wrists because they punch with their hands and wrists at the end. That's the area that makes impact. But you can create strategies or you can look at strategies to try and reduce the incidence or when injuries happen, you can improve um, on the severity, meaning that they are available more time by having best strategies and then equally yeah that happens through improved management so all the things we do as a as a team when we bring our ideas collectively is to try and think about all the different facets that can make a difference you know if they're traveling was the travel strategy is there any jet legs uh, was there sleep hygiene was there education on bandaging their hands you know if they're running do they do they have the right level of volume at the right time the right level of, of volume of punches during a week, which again, we monitor, um, you know, wellness strategy. So this is quite a big array. Um, and I actually know that because every every four months, every quarter, really, um, I collect all the information from all the disciplines about what are the strategies we're doing and how they collect together and any projects. And it's a great reflective practice for me, really. Yes, very, very interesting. Um, I mean, just it just occurred to me when you were speaking um, that certainly when I was doing trauma and orthopedic surgery um, and, and certainly the lower limb where the hip is effectively a sort of ball and socket joint and, and is, is relatively um, straightforward in terms of its biomechanics uh, to a degree. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, well, I, I was going to say com- compared to something like the wrist joint, um, where you've got, you know, you've actually got multiple sort of different joints kind of operating in different forces and, and ligaments and structures. Um, I, I know, I mean, we can sort of get very geeky and talk about uh, your your background in sort of wrist biomechanics, but I think j- just to, just to save our listeners' uh, minds for the moment. Um, what sort of things do you sort of practically do? I guess in, in those prevention strategies around. Uh, you know, boxing, say, for example, what, what sort of uh, techniques do you put in place? I think you, you probably classify it into three areas. I mean, one is education. Um, one is the equipment used, uh, which probably links a bit with education too. And then also there's uh, specific strategies like, you know, strengthening strategies or conditioning strategies. So, you know, if you think about um, the, the, I'll take the bandaging because it's an area really fascinates me really, you know, doing the right bandaging, you know, for your training, for competition is, is vitally important because you are creating more stability at the wrists, um, especially with the sort of shots being thrown. And then also the type of equipment. So, you know, the type of equipment stems from the gloves you're wearing, the size, um, the wear and tear of those size, the type of cushioning it has, but also what you're hitting. You know, you're hitting a bag, you're hitting a pad, you're hitting sparring. So when you combine everything together, is there the right level of um I'd say safety net around it with all the volume intensity and and equipment. Then there is education, you know, there's education of how to, you know, manage hands better. And obviously there is probably the element of um, locally where you are uh, looking at some of the things I've mentioned already. But then, you know, the hands and wrists to me are not just hands and wrists, it's the rest of the body. If somebody goes into a session, they've not slept well for whatever reason, and they're tired and a bit fatigued, and there's a lot of things going on in their life, and they go in a sparring session, and they were a bit tired, a bit distracted, and they got an injury in the hand because of all these multifactorial factors, um, you know, it's useless as just talking about the hand and wrist. So a lot of things we try and do is to try and to mitigate those things. It's trying to make sure that, you know, they are always in the best um, position to be able to attend any sparring or, or any competition or any type of training, really, uh, without causing any injury. And so that's why I talked earlier a little bit about, you know, daily wellness monitoring, where we looked at different things, you know, mood, sleep, fatigue and try and understand how how good they are and try and act on it quickly um, before it's too late uh, and equally obviously if we have been too late sometimes we learn from those experiences and and use those in, in future education and then I mentioned uh, strength and conditioning well you know when I first started you know like most um, I'd say motivated physios you know you, you create these 
separate uh, intervention strategies, you know, at different times um, to try and do like hand and wrist conditioning. And, you know, it's good. It was working. But one of the things I realized is, you know, the, the, the day of, a, of an athlete, you have to try and allow them to have the time to rest because rest is important. So just putting in more things doesn't help. So what we did in time, actually, is we integrated a lot of the conditioning of the specific hands and wrists as part of their general strength and conditioning, which means it becomes not just integrated, but the strength and conditioning coach can periodize that also as part of their global training. So for me, it's good because it means that everybody will be doing that form of conditioning. And then if some need to do a bit extra, it's just about adding a bit extra rather than trying to do a bit too much. So I think probably those three are our three main areas. And again, beyond that, I'd say, you know, for anybody listening, it's it's not just being closed within your sport. So it's looking outwards and seeing what other people are doing. So obviously, you know, when I first started, I was working in amateur boxing, you know, or Olympic style boxing. So I, the first thing I did was I looked at what the professionals were doing and integrated a lot of the practices from the professionals into training, which made a big difference. And it was quite novel at the time because boxers just used to use uh, wrap without any tape. And I introduced tape um, in training, which was, uh, you know, a novel thing. And I remember actually I spent, um, it was around 2010, I spent two months wrapping every hand of every boxer. Um, and that practice has carried on till now, which is fantastic. So it was one of those where I had a bit of a vision and I thought the only way to, to do it was actually um, just to sort of crack on and persevere and the nice thing is it got traction it got momentum and you know now nowadays we look back and we, we've got a great uh, heritage on, on bandaging techniques um from gb boxing and then things that we've also passed on even the professional world um but then again it's not just the boxing areas looking what other sports are doing you know so i'll look at even non-contact sports to try and learn so if people are getting i know we said hands and wrists but you know shoulder injuries what are people doing in swimming what are people doing in volleyball what are people doing you know in other sports um and even looking out into the research you know it's very important to understand uh, evidence-based practice and what i mean by that is sometimes is looking not just at articles relevant to just, you know, the sport, like boxing, for example, articles or sport articles, but even looking at biomechanics articles or looking at articles from other joints. And it's just trying to put it together and try and learn, really. And the other thing is just being open-minded. You know, you know as I said, I, I probably help colleagues when they are asking around, um, injuries with their athletes but I'm always I'd say on the receiving end because I will always learn something new because I'm learning through a case study and experience what we can do different and a lot of times I can import that experience back into my sport so yes I, I think um, I am probably one of those people that just likes to have an open mind, look what's happening around me, appreciate that there's no one way of doing things also. Um, you know, you look, you look at Twitter these days, there's uh, Twitter battles. Um, it's, it's, it's fun and sad at the same time because obviously you have two opposing arguments, which is important. I think, you know, you can't have everybody thinking the same way. But I think what should what is important is that people do respect that there are different ways of doing one thing. Um, it's like when somebody says something and different people can interpret it in a different way. It's the same way in, in, in everything you do, is it? So for me, it's the same even when I'm approaching injuries, whether it is injury reduction or management. There are different ways to skin the cat, really. And if one approach works, great. That could last so many years and maybe you have to find another one if it doesn't work let's look for something new so the, the one thing i definitely like about sports is it's an opportunity to explore to look into you know to, to really sort of push the boundaries um and that's hopefully what i've been doing for these last uh, 20 years in sports 
It's a fantastic point. And, and we spoke on the podcast a, a little while ago about um, having a kind of beginner's mindset when you approach things. And also, you know, we always talk about kind of continuous learning. Um, and I think what you've just described there, you know, not just for, for boxing or, or sport, but in fact, for any industry, um, that sort of almost methodology or process where you are um, both learning from your own environment, but then also looking outside and looking to the literature and using evidence to kind of guide your practice and then not being afraid to actually put it into practice um, and, and actually try something out is, is so important for anyone's kind of growth and development to, to improve their performance. So I think it's, I think it's a, it's a great point. And actually your, uh, you know, the, your comment on bandaging just gave me flashbacks to when I was training in the NHS and um, when I was bandaging to put a plaster cast on people, <laughs> I, I was perhaps not the most neatest of, of bandages and say, I, I, warmly remember being made to um unroll and then re-roll back up about a hundred different bandages <laughs> when i was sort of wrapping people's arms up before putting plaster on so um yeah it's uh, well, yeah, I'll, that I'll tell, a technique i was going to tell you something yes yeah, i mean bandaging is an art you know it's, it's an art and a science at the same time like like many things but you know three elements which do make a difference for a boxer because i did learn that is um one is it it has to be comfortable you know, they have to feel it's comfortable. Two, it has to look good. Um, and this is not like a rating of, you know, you, you have to win a prize or, or get an A. But, you know, if a boxer is going to box, they're going to look at their hands. They want to look like it looks the part. And then the other part is it has to be good. Um, but be good sometimes is, is quite interesting because what a boxer feels is probably going to do the job to what you feel is going to do the job could be different um, and that's where sometimes the science and the art are a bit of colliding at times like I've had boxes sometimes telling me oh cut a bit more off cut a bit more off I like it to be a bit loose and I say well it defies the notion if it's too loose then you might as well just put on mittens um, but you know that's the sort of sort of good debate and good learning to have that you know it's not one thing fits all. And as you said, you know you, you do the plaster of Paris for the NHS. You could you could learn doing it a hundred times in one person. You have to change it for the second person that walks in. Um, so it's that adaptability. And I think the other the other thing I'd mention um, with that sort of. Um, mindset of when you come out of uni, I think you shouldn't lose it 20, 30, 40 years later. Uh, I like to sort of use an expression, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is there's so much new information coming out on a daily basis. There's so much research, just so much um, information you can tap into. You can't believe that you know everything. So it's good to be comfortable in certain areas, but still be in a position that your notions sometimes can be shifted a bit. And that's the art of being open-minded is actually being comfortable that you can be uncomfortable. And that means that if you are uncomfortable, the next thing you're going to do is you want to learn more. I think when people are super comfortable, you know, that, you know, they're unmovable, I think there's a danger there because it means that they're stuck in their ways and they probably won't listen, especially to younger practitioners who may have, not may, actually have a lot of times very valid and good points and do keep us on our toes. Yeah, I mean, fun, absolutely fantastic points. It's, it's, it's been really, really interesting hearing you talk about learning um, and, and how you're sort of, you know, you, you're adapting your own methodologies. Um, one thing you touched on earlier was, was kind of mental health. And um, I'd be fascinated to hear your take on um, how you know your role um, changes I suppose through training coming up to kind of actual fight days um, in boxing and um, you know I, I think from almost like an outsider's point of view uh, uh, certainly my perspective is we've got one of the you know the best kind of heavyweight um, title situations at the moment where we've got people like Tyson Fury or AJ Deontay Wilder multiple people um, and, and some big prize um, you know, packets on, on offer and, and that amount of pressure, particularly when you've got kind of live audiences and it's in places like Las Vegas and is being broadcast worldwide. I'd be really interested to hear your take on how, uh, you know, A, the fighters um, prepare for, for those sort of, you know, one-off events after such a long period of training mentally. Uh, and then also how it you know, perhaps affects your role when you are ringside. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm not an expert in this area, and it's important that I stay that because you know sometimes people learn a few things along the way and then they class themselves as, as experts. But I think there are a couple of things um, here. First of all, it's it's down to the team around the athlete. And it's important whether it is, you know, whether we're talking about uh, a professional boxer or an Olympic boxer, whether it is any athlete really, you know, whatever sport, you know, uh, I'd say that I wouldn't call it mental health. I'd call it coping strategies um, because that's a phrase I've learned from uh, our psychologists in, in, in the sport of boxing, but also, you know, general psychologists. It's those coping strategies, those stresses. Now, obviously, it can affect your mental health if obviously this is a long period where you are not managing to cope with something. You know, if you think yourself yourself at home, um, you know, recently you've had the lockdown, if you've not been able to cope, for a particular period of time, it will eventually affect your mental health. So I think having people to speak to, uh, and luckily uh, within our team, they have a lot of people to speak to, a lot of people, a lot of practitioners that are open-minded and are happy to listen. Sometimes even if it's not their their area of expertise, sometimes it's just being an ear. But obviously, if we take, for example, GB Boxing, we've got um, psychologists, we've got performance lifestyle, um, and together, obviously, behind them, I'd say we've got the, the wider English Institute of Sport, which um, altogether supports the predominance of uh, Olympic and Paralympic athletes in this country in the UK. And there is a big thing around mental health, actually. You know, there's, there's actually um, people employed in this area, and there are strategies which then filter into the different sports. So again, not, not just boxing into all the, the sports. So I think what is very important is that we can actually identify what are the stresses, what are the different individual needs of other boxers, create the scoping strategies, create also maybe sometimes these stresses, you know, it's not just before the ring, as you said, it's in the ring, it's trying to manage those things. Now, obviously, you mentioned about how do you manage um, somebody ringside, you know, when they're preparing for such a big fight, the best thing you can do is just be professional. Um, being part of the team, being part of the entourage that has been through the journey of that person, I think is very important because when you're in the ring, you know how that person responds to different things, to different stimuli. Uh, what I mean by that, it's the, the slightest of things. It could be to how much vase you're putting on their face, um, you know, which you, what you don't want to do is you don't create further stresses. And I know it, it can sound little things, but you have to imagine yourself as part of a, a Formula One pit crew where you just want to go in, do something, do it efficiently, do it quick, and then let them continue with that. But that's just the pinnacle of what's come true. Like, you know, we always try and make sure there is a happy camp, you know, whether it's an Olympic athlete preparing for the pinnacle, which is the Olympic Games, whether it is your professional athlete preparing for, you know, one of the big fights of the year. It's the same approach for me. The approach is make sure that the athlete feels that they're supported by the team around them. Make sure that the team are constantly communicating, that there is no ego within the team, you know, not one ego should try and surplus somebody else's. It's not about ego, it's about how can we all work together. And I think sometimes people forget, if you are in a team, you've got something to bring to the table, but also the person across the table has something to bring also. So it's not just about your voice being heard all the time. And and don't get me wrong, you know, I've learned also from my mistakes, especially in years gone by, you know, sometimes you want to bring something across, sometimes you want to be the loudest in the room, you know, sometimes you want to thump your feet just because you want the message to be heard. But sometimes what happens, you learn that actually, that probably isn't the right thing, but you need sometimes time to learn that. So actually, I've learned over time that it's good to speak up, to mention things, but then it's equally good to let things just happen but yes I think support is important but also I think support is not just for the athlete it's for the team itself you know you have to imagine that a lot of practitioners a lot of coaches we're in it all together you know emotions are there there's a passion there's a drive there is time away from the family 
that can put some pressure. You don't know what's happening at home with some people, you know, is there any issues happening at home? So I think if you are there with the notion that your job is to do X, but then as a human being, as part of the team, you're there to support everybody and it doesn't matter how you do it, whether it's going down to the shops to buy a six pack of water for the team because you feel that's going to help by lending a helping hand um, by, you know, organizing a, a quiz on an evening or being the one they laugh at because, you know, you, you, you've done an exercise which was out of your comfort. But you know what I mean? It's, it's certain things which sometimes you do, which goes beyond really what is your professional element. It's almost like a sense of duty as part of the team. Yeah, that, that makes that makes complete sense. And and obviously, I mean, you've you've been at some some high profile competitions. Um, have you got any particular memories that kind of stand out in, in regards to kind of uh, one off events that you've been involved with? I mean, the, the, the memories are they they, they flurry really. Um, you know, I, I would be lying if I don't say that. You know, the Olympics are always always been a pinnacle, uh, mainly because of the Erasmus there is, mainly because after four years of preparation, you are finally there. This is it. This is what we've been working on for the last four years. Um, it's not just the last three months or last six months. Um, I've had requests sometimes over the years of people saying, like, if you want me to carry your bag, I'll say, that's great, but... <laughs> maybe should have been there for the last four years to carry my bag because that's where the hard work is. I always say the hardest work is not at the games. It's getting ready. It's the last four years. At the games, you know, everything should be ready by now. But yes, fond memories. Uh, my first Olympics probably, you know, I actually worked for the Greeks in 2004. That was probably one of my, my, my first memories because, again, it was a dream come true. You know, like anything, you always aspire to something. Uh, the fond memory of being in London, you know, with boxing was an amazing experience. You know, seeing uh, athletes like Nicola Adams claim the gold, seeing athletes like AJ win the gold. And I mention AJ only because I've been working with him for the last 10 years. So, you know, seeing him uh, claim the gold then, and then, you know, 10 years later, obviously, we know what's happened recently with the Ruiz fights, you know, that again, that was um, a fantastic comeback, you know, all the team pulled together the athlete you know showed fantastic integrity and went to achieve it so it just shows you um you know and and again you know uh, i've recently said uh, heard aj saying you know don't let victory go to your head and don't let defeat go to your heart um you know and that's his quote and and i think it's a fantastic quote you know you know when things are going really well don't let it get to your head you know because things can always change and when things you know hit you down don't don't let it take you personally you know just find find a way to 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 lift yourself and then go again um, and as it's the same thing it's not just for athletes you know we learn a lot from athletes even as practitioners how to continue you know how to persevere how to be resilient uh, but equally is also you know this is not just it's not about just fighting everybody that comes against you and um, this is part of being a team and that's what boxers do you know in the ring they may spar against uh, or fight against their opponent but, you know, they earn each other's respect and usually can see them hugging after because of that earned respect. But then even when they walk down from the rings, they don't want to fight everybody, do they? You know, they're, they're actually friends with everybody. Um, and that's the reality of life, is it? You, you don't need to feel like you have to fight everybody in life to get something across. It's just about the people you have around you, your supportive network. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's fantastic, fantastic quote, and I think, as you say, it translates to to lots of different elements of of life and different sectors as well. Um, I think you know, from from anyone uh, listening to you talk, um, obviously, you're very, very passionate about teaching. Um, could you talk a little bit about you know your own teaching that that you do, um, particularly what you've been doing, kind of uh, you know during lockdown as well with that? Uh, yes, I mean. It's quite interesting because I probably in the beginning of the year, like many colleagues, I had lots of events booked for the whole of the year. Um, I had weekends booked in different parts of the world, you know, from Dubai to 
Scotland um, to my home country, which is actually Malta. Um, so I had lots of events and uh, mainly the focus was teaching on the sporting upolim. Um, so, you know, looking at hands and wrists, which I said I love a lot, all the way to the, the elbows and the shoulders. Um, but suddenly, you know, COVID hit, like uh, hits everybody. And then obviously we went into lockdown and suddenly I had to shift um, what I was going to do because, you know, there's this face-to-face reality, which even till now, you know, I know that some people are probably have managed a little bit, but you can see it's not a, a true reality at the moment. So what I've managed to do over lockdown is actually I've collaborated with different um, service providers um, in different countries, and I've did a lot of online resources. Um, so we've got... Um, uh, we've got a company called Trust Me Ad, actually, which we've launched recently. Two episodes on the hands and wrists. Uh, that was now in September. Um, there's another company called Physio Network, which has a nice series on the hands and wrists now, which they will um, uh, they will launch in December. Uh, I've done quite a few different elements around uh, online teaching also, even with uh, um, a company called Box Science, which does a lot around actually boxing. Um, so they have a lot of followers around boxers themselves and SNC coaches. We did some education around the hands and wrists, showing some good examples of exercises which they can do. Um, and I've got a few more things in the bag also. Even now I've managed to create um, an, an, an online um, teaching for the hand and wrist. I used to do like a one day um, face-to-face, which hopefully I can still do next year. But I've, I've reformatted and with a company called Anchor, hopefully we'll soon be launching it where you where people can buy into it um, and, and get um, pre-course material sent. So there'll be a lot of um, pre-recorded information there. And then there'll be a live event where then we can all come together and do, um, you know, look at different things from case studies, discussions, um, obviously do a few more presentations presentations. But I think what I have learned basically is that rather than, you know, wait and see what happens or actually, um, you know, just live in this world where, you know, you just go and you just deliver to a few people, I've probably embraced the the element of online teaching. And it's not just online teaching, I'd say, it's also online consultations. You know, I've been one of those where I've always sort of helped uh, athletes or colleagues through tweets and even videos in the past. But I've, I've always thought like, you know, if you want to see somebody, you go face to face. I've actually learned even through lockdown by doing online consultations um, that you can do it. I did a consultation with somebody who enjoys doing calitechnics in India um, uh, to somebody, you know, who probably lives 40 miles from me, but still did it online because of certain restrictions. And for example, even those two um, types of athletes both did really well because again even without laying the hands on it uh, on the areas just by giving them the right advice understanding really the problem guiding them to what they needed which sometimes that what people need more than you know putting our hands on them straight away it's actually understanding their problems a bit better and maybe understand also where you know where they want to go and where they have been and what interventions they might have held to date. So sometimes when you're in that online environment, just makes you be in a position where you don't want to get your hands on people more. You actually just want to listen a bit more. Um, So yes, I definitely embrace that online experience from a teaching point of view in that sense. And I'll also say, there is that leadership component, which maybe we'll dwell into a little bit, which maybe it's not the formal teaching, but with leadership, I think, especially when you're leading a group of practitioners, um, when you're involved, obviously, with different things, there's probably an area of um, education um, to try and make sure you support uh, your colleagues. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think leadership is particularly interesting um, with, with the gods kind of teaching and training. Um, I mean, we focus sort of quite a lot on that with um, what we've been doing at Verti with regards to kind of soft skills training. Um, I'd be interested to, to sort of hear, you know, your take on, on um, leadership training with, with what you've been um, doing remotely. Yeah, I mean, I've, again, I've, I've probably been 
lucky because, or again, I like to use words privileged sometimes because luckily um, means it just happened by chance. But the, 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 again, the English Institute of, of Sport is a great company, which again has probably supported me as a leader. You know, before lockdown, we had a lot of official, um, I'd say, workshops where we used to get together, you know, leaders within the company and learn from each other and learn from leaders from outside. So there's that formal type of leadership, which I have learned, which then obviously in my own way, I sort of pass certain expertise down to staff I work with. Um, but then also during this period, they have created opportunities where I can actually work in these environments to actually be supported. So equally, what I did in my own way is make sure that although it probably was taking quite a bit of my week, you know, chunks away, I make sure that there were key meetings um, every week with key disciplines or key people. I looked at their preferences, you know, that they prefer to meet as a particular group, as a particular individual. But I think the main thing for me is, is keeping connected with my team. So making sure that they feel they have a voice, that they can come to me, and that even they can call me anytime on, on the phone and, you know, voice, you know, their concerns, if there are concerns. Um, I myself, um, you know, found that the virtual environment was quite interesting for me because sometimes in that virtual environment, although it's 2D, you know, it's not three-dimensional, um, like when you're sitting in, in, in a... In a meeting room space sometimes you can pick up certain things a bit differently so you know I managed to pick up certain behaviors or certain body postures and actually there was one of the practitioners which I saw had gone quiet in a few over the last few weeks so you know I approached the practitioners and I said you know let's 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 meet separately you know let's let's have a chat and you know you could see that practitioner um had been struggling a little bit um, in, in the last few weeks, but luckily, you know, because uh, I managed to notice that, which which was a positive thing for me, you know, um, we managed to speak about things and over a few sessions, over a few weeks, I could see that that person actually got a bit better. So it actually felt really good because I thought like, what is my role as a leader during lockdown? My, my role here is is actually is to support people, is to facilitate people. You know, the, the during lockdown, if you think about the performance, the actual performance of athletes, let's be honest, if you want all around lots of sports and talked about performance in lockdown, I think a lot of people will say the best you could do was try and maintain the status quo or not let them go too much um, backwards so that by the time they are back, you know, we, we they don't start incurring injuries. So for me, it wasn't so much about performance at that period, although we did manage to create a lot of different strategies that probably will future-proof us um, in the long term. But the reality is it was probably about connection. It is how do we keep connection with the athletes? And so I was very um, engage with my support staff to make sure that we keep engaged with the athletes so that obviously that box is, is ticked in a nice way and that when issues were being raised they were discussed appropriately um, and obviously the program were, were more than supportive of all the work we we're doing but yes I say definitely if somebody had to tell me what was one of the key leadership skills um, you, you, you used um, and you would reflect on I'd say is, is supporting people, is connecting people, is making people feel that they are engaged. And it's not easy. It's not easy. You know, it's not something that you just think, yeah, I'm going to do that and it's going to be easy. It's not easy because a lot of people have different mentalities. A lot of people, you know, I actually hated the expression, we are all in the same boat. And I said this, I said, no, we're not. We are in lots of different boats, maybe in the same stream, but we're not in the same boat because to be in the same boat means we're all going through the same experience, but it's not the same. We have different experiencing, maybe traveling on a similar journey, which was this pandemic, which was maybe the way we operate in our sport and boxing. But I could see that people had different ways of managing them. So, you know, going back to the, the coping skills we, taught, we talked about before. And so because of that, I think one of the skills you have to have if you want to be a leader is appreciate that individuality. And you can't just make a blanket approach to people. 
And equally, you need to be, um, you know, using that being comfortable, being uncomfortable, which I said before, is ask the question, you know, am I doing the right thing? Um, do you want something different? Do we need to approach it different? And in fact, one thing I noticed probably um, a couple of months back as we we're sort of coming out of lockdown when maybe the necessity for regular meetings was dying a bit, people were getting a bit disengaged. And I realized that. And I could see also people were probably starting to get a bit annoyed in some of the meetings. So I, I asked some questions to people and I tried to, to converse opinions. Um, and I used even other practitioners who supported me actually uh, in this process. Um, you know, so big thanks to obviously my support team um, because in a way they support me to support them. And we, we, we've changed the structure a bit. So, you know, we've gone to less regular meetings, try and bring more, more different topics, you know, rather than just about talking about the status quo. Let's just talk about something of, of, of diverse interest, something which maybe somebody is more passionate about and just wants to share. And I think, again, it's always thinking about how can we make things a bit different just so that, you know, even though we are in a similar situation, there is a bit of diversity. I mean, just fantastic points. I think, I think particularly on leadership, that appreciation of uh, people's backgrounds and, and how when you're communicating, engaging with them, it does need to be personalised to get the best out of people is, is absolutely on point. And especially, as you mentioned, through lockdown where people have been remote um, and you haven't had that face-to-face kind of rapport. And, and you often, I mean, certainly one of the things actually we did as a, as a business was just basically upping the amount of... Um, uh, sort of you know conversational touch points with with all of our our team um, because you don't have that kind of in office feel of you know just turning around and speaking to somebody um, and you really do have to make an extra effort when you're remote um, j- just just to kind of wrap thing uh, you know as we start to wrap things up um, I'd be really interested to um, ask you about who your human performance hero is who's who's sort of influenced you or uh having a sort of amazing example of, of human performance um that you've seen it, it, it's it's hard to mention one because i think of over the years I've, I've probably been defined and and i've probably learned through a lot of people um but definitely i think you know there was a period of time i worked in greece the first five years uh, of my career and actually um uh, there's, there's a guy called george rogdakis he's actually greek and um you know i think when you're still a young practitioner sometimes having somebody who who challenges you, but also mentors you in a certain way, um, can help define you in time. And I think he definitely was one which I definitely take on board. Um, but also another another you know hero for me um, um, was was a chap called uh, Rob Johnson who um, used to work for the IS, actually the English Institute of Sport. Was my line manager, uh, has left now. Um, and, uh, you know, he started more as a footballer. Um, and in fact, you Google him, you find out who Rob Johnson is. He was a footballer and then obviously he became a physio. Um, but, but again, you know, he was somebody there who used to support me. And a lot of times he used to support me without me knowing. And I think it is, it is important because sometimes, you know, if you, if you are a leader or if you're somebody who supports people, it's not about them knowing all the time what you're doing it's not about them saying oh thank you for that support sometimes you just do it and i think when you are what we class ourselves sometimes a shadow warrior you know when you do things behind the scenes just to be able to enable people um and even if they don't know you know it doesn't matter you know it's not about you getting the thank you a thank you is nice sometimes a pat on the back is nice but what is the greatest award in knowing that you are actually enabling people even if they don't know but you're there, you're part of their route, you're part of their path. So I think definitely for me, uh, those two people. But then, you know, I I couldn't mention a third person for me, which is my current performance director, um, you know, which is Rob McCracken. And I know some people will think, oh, you're already going to mention him because he's your your line manager, he's your boss. (laughs) Um, But I say no, because you know what, like, I've been working with, with Rob for the last, you know, for over a decade. And 
and again, you know, like like anybody else, you know, I have probably strayed from my own path sometimes. Um, but actually, he's been there to support me. He's been there to support me behind the scenes. Um, he's, you know, he's kept me in in in, uh, in boxing, I'd say, and he's elevated me. You know, he's 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 promoted me to this position of head of sports science and medicine. Um, you know, because he trusts in me, he trusts in my expertise um, in what I can bring to the table and what I can bring to the sport. So again, you know, I, I, for me, he's still a human performance hero because like he's also taken GB boxing from where it was, you know, which was definitely not where it is now. You know, he's, he's taking it to the greats in Olympic sports. He's taken athletes um, uh, like AJ himself. You know, you can imagine, you know, he's walked in an unknown in a GB boxing uh, environment in 2012. You know, he supported him, made him an Olympic gold medalist. And obviously throughout the journey, he's he's made him what he is now. And I say he's made him, obviously he's supported him and he's given direction because at the end of the day, you know, an athlete does bring the performance to the table. But I, I think those three are three human performance characters that I'd say define me. And and the reason I say that also is because they probably, from the, the, the very first one in Greece to Rob McCracken now, they probably spanned over these last 20 years, my career. And I think it's always important to have somebody who, you know, sometimes you can fall out with, sometimes you disagree with, Sometimes you just want to go in the ring and have a knockout with it because you, you, <laughs> you might have nodded. But those are the true people that, you know, the, they push you, they challenge you. And as I said earlier, if you're open-minded, you might walk away from, from a discussion where you feel a little bit, well, it didn't really go the way I wanted. But then a few days later, you think like, you know what? Actually, I've learned something from this. And I'll do something to change and to prove myself. And I think that's what kept pushing me in, you know, used the word soft skills. You know, sometimes people call them non-technical skills. Those are the areas which I felt I've had to develop over the years. You know, the technical skills, the hardcore skills, I say sometimes are the easy things to learn. Um, because you can learn these through, through a lot of things, through a lot of medium, but the non-technical, the soft skills, yes, you can read lots of books and go through lots of courses, but it's human interaction which defines these things and your ability to be able to want to change or do better or reflect. And so for me, these these three people, um, George Rokdakis, you know, Rob Johnson and Rob McCracken, in their own way, have all been my, my human performance heroes because they have shaped um, my career. They have shaped my persona in a way or another. They're great, great examples. And I think, again, just, just to echo what you said, you know, I think you know, Great Britain boxing in particular um, has, has really sort of, you know, developed over um, the period of the last sort of, you know, 10, 15 years. And, and we've now got some fantastic athletes coming through um, to, to you know the current generation which is really exciting with um the future kind of olympics on the horizon and and you know some of the pro fights that, that we're going to be seeing over the next kind of you know 18 to, to 24 months hopefully um ju- just to really kind of um uh finish things off um in where can uh, people get hold of you or find any of your your teaching materials yeah, if you if you go on, um, you know, you, you find me on social media. Um, I try and be as active as I can, but I, you know, I, I try not to be a slave to it. Also, but you can find me on LinkedIn. You know, if you go on LinkedIn, uh, I'll post things there. You'll find me on on Twitter, and you'll find me also on Instagram. So you know, you find me under Ian Gatt. Um, you know, on Twitter you find the the, the boxing physio, um, which is a bit of a sort of a trademark. But obviously, <laughs> I've been working in it for the last 11 years so sort of it's a little bit of a trademark in a way um but yeah look, i'll always post information on courses uh, future courses or courses that have happened or any even useful information you know if, if you know I'll, I'll i'll always support ideas and retweet uh, notions or good research or anything to do with uh, particular the sporting environment um uh, and so from my end you know as i said you know follow us if you want to and uh, you know i'm not going to promise promise you I'm going to make it super exciting but uh, hopefully you get a a couple of things which may be useful uh, in your career.